0: July seventh, two thousand and eleven, the London Film School welcomes Oscar nominated director, producer, and cinematographer Bob Connolly and co director Sophie Raymond for a QA following a preview screening of Mrs. Carey's concert.
1: It's an it's an ordinary, well, very special, but ordinary girls school. So tell them about that.
2: Okay, well it's it's a it's a it's a private girls' school in the inner west of Sydney, about fifteen kilometers. Out of town, and as Roger says it's a standard high school, um, and they have a, a music department um, and um, I suppose as a personal confession I mean my, both my kids went to the school, so i mean in in some sort of ways it's an extended home movie <laughs> but um, yes, that's true but uh, yeah so it's just a standard it's a very good school I have to <laughs> add as well, but um, the music department is is also yeah you know. uh,
3: mrs kerry's been at, at the school for 22 years and she's certainly built up a culture of music within the school and and it was really a combination of her and the headmistress of the school who decided to put the opera house concert as a, a, a part of the school curriculum so it, it is part of the curriculum that they do the, the whole school does this concert every two years and and i guess over those. 22 years as Mrs Kerry said she just keeps lifting the bar higher and higher and um, and and as a result it's attracted a lot of kids to the school who are interested in music but as you saw there there are a lot of kids so everybody in the school does have some part to play in the concert now
1: the second question which will surprise you even more I think is how much rehearsal time they have
2: and when well most of them have half an hour a week Um, It, um, and they're expected to do a lot of rehearsal at home, but um, yeah. yeah, so not a lot. Yeah.
3: But they, they do do a long lead up, so it is that's the key to eight it. months yeah. of rehearsals, and there's the summer break over, over that period often. So they often will come in, some of the smaller ensembles, and do you know, little workshops with each other as well.
2: Yeah. Actually, that actually, that's slightly misleading. Um, there are about 15 scholarship music kids at the school, and of course, Emily's one of them. And so these are serious is, who want to go on and, and have a musical career and and this is I think a very clever thing that uh, Mrs Carey's done is that this, th- those kids form the core of all the ensembles so that you know, th- they and they are obviously practicing more than half an hour a week and and so, but her theory is that the other kids will sort of look up to them and try to emulate them and so she tries to space those sort of kids in um, they start in year 7 on a, on a scholarship so Emily was on a full a full music scholarship, which meant that her her fees were paid.
1: And how many of them do go on to become professional musicians on on, on average?
2: Well, I, that's probably an appropriate time to tell you that.
3: Um well, we can answer that question. Then.
2: Oh, how many of them? <laughs> oh, <here.
3: Where laughs> I think, well, out of the girls that you see, the key ones there, I would say maybe two
2: a year.
3: Yeah, I look
2: one or two. A, a lot year? of them
3: have kept up with their music. There's probably only one or two of them that probably haven't, and. Um, whether they go on and have professional careers, it's, it's probably a lot less, but um, a lot of them still go on and study music on a tertiary level or keep it going as part of their, their, um, their next stage of education. Yes. Lucky. So,
1: what was your starting point?
4: What inspired you to make the film? Was it the teacher or the pupils?
2: I, I, um, I, I guess a combination of both. Um, uh, Karen asked us to video the 2007 concert. Uh, for the parents, basically, which we did, and um, we i would also done the 2005 one, but with only three or three cameras. But this time, with Sophie as well, and also directing the cameras in the opera house, we—we—we we, we actually got into it. Well, we put a lot more time into it, and we got to talk to Karen about the about the some of the backstory, and then we heard about Doretta and her struggle to get Doretta up onto the stage to play the Brahms. Because in point of fact she didn't get up until three weeks before the concert having been given the music a year beforehand so it was a real crisis and then karen as you can see app- applied the gentle approach for which she's so well known and um doretta played
3: yeah but there was also something i think about having uh, the girls these you know young girls you know up close like so intimate at the end of the lens and seeing that instant transformation of them Sort of being just girlish, basically, and then when they start to play, it was sort of quite astonishing for us just to watch, and we thought, well, wow! Imagine how more powerful that moment would be if you actually knew these kids a bit more and and, and what they'd gone through to get to this point. So that was that was another element behind yes. the film. You
0: know, I'd I like to really congratulate Sam. I mean, it's it's a truly astonishing. Um, it was very very well captured, and I have a slightly awkward question. <coughs> Did you? were you always faithful for using the sound that was attached to the time of the picture? Because I have a sense that so much of the sound was possibly not always what was happening in the room at the time. And does that pose an ethical question in relation to documentary making? If you...
2: Well, no, it doesn't because it all was recorded and is all used. So it yeah, yeah. was
3: exactly the, the exact music... Absolutely. every single point along the way. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, occasionally there might have been a few cutaways because, I mean, they're rehearsing bits, so we might just have had a few cutaways that were from a, a, you know, the same bit of music in the same room, but there was no... I mean, it was all pretty much faithful to the rehearsal space and there was nothing added or enhanced. In fact, the entire... Soundtrack of the film, except for that one piece of the St. Matthew Passion is recorded on location on the fly. So there was nothing that was ever kind of set up in a studio or sort of had to post sync or anything, no.
1: There was somebody else's hand, I just, yes, yeah, behind. So. Well, yeah, I
5: was just going to build on that point. First of all, congratulations on the sound. The sound was absolutely extraordinary. But I actually know where that question came from because <clears throat> I know the Sydney Opera House quite well and the acoustic was. A lot, uh, a lot more sonorous than it usually is. But I can only take my hat off to you because obviously someone in the mix has has, has emphasised the sonority of of the sound yeah. there. And I would say actually that's absolutely part of um, yeah. a, a, a documentary making to actually make a concert like that the best it can be without yeah. actually distortion.
3: Yeah. Well, look, we had um, Bob Scott was the, the the chap who did the sound for the concert, and he's uh, he'd worked. Previously, had been you know a, a sound technician at the Opera House. He knew the space extremely well. And, and so it's, it's a regular gig for him to record orchestras in that space. And then, actually, interestingly, the mix that he did was quite different to the mix we ended up using in the film because we for the film, we wanted it to... because there were pictures for the mix that we were doing. So we actually mixed it in a cinema space and we really made sure that we let the ambience of the Opera House really fill fill the mix as well. So you really sort of felt like you were you were in that space as well. Yeah.
6: Yes. Uh, at the concert, did you <coughs> did you dedicate one whole operator to Iris Cam? Did you
3: just we did have a sniper cam, I called it, yeah. But she he wasn't just on Iris. He had a few you know and he had a lot of the close ups of Emily as well and he could he also could see where some of the parents were in the in the audience as well. So we had nine cameras. Yeah we covering. had no 11. eleven. No, no nine out front And two backstage, yeah, on the night. Bob, you were running around backstage?
2: I was running around backstage. Yeah. yeah one yep. of
6: the ones. And also,
2: another question about that was what, um,
6: Mrs. Carey losing her music, that was totally genuine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What, when she found it, did you, you just happen to be on there at that moment? Or well, we had, two
2: come, we had two cameras and it was right. totally genuine. The only thing yeah. that's not genuine is the language that she used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did get the frigging in, we were allowed to get that in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. I've lost my frigging music, she yeah. said. Yeah. But well, I can tell you now, she but said a lot more there was
3: than a bit that. More <laughs> That is but I that out of
2: deference to her 92 yeah. year old father who came to the premiere we took them all out and
3: it, and it was actually happening while the Vaughan Williams was being played so yeah. it was when we when we sort of looked at the time code we thought that's that's just wonderful you know because there's this, this beautiful composure of the girls giving their passion and this character. <laughs> yes <laughs> true. Uh, congratulations um, Thanks.
1: The,
6: the scenes I enjoyed the most were in the school and I had a feeling of just observing, floating, I was there and I felt really privileged. And I was wondering, you, you filmed over, was it 12 months? 18 months. 18 months. So obviously, what I'm interested in is your process, how, how you filmed up the school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, you were there a lot, but you must have had to have scheduled and you would have been in contact with teachers saying this is happening when, this is happening now. And I don't know if you were there every day. I, I would just love to know a little bit about your approach mm, and sure. process. And then, as documentary filmmakers, how you strike a balance between we've got okay, we've got a schedule. We're going here today. We know this is happening, but not involving yourself too much and just letting mm. what happens happens. And yeah, mm. so really, your process. It would process. Be okay. Yeah.
2: Well. Well. Uh, um. This is this is my sixth. Observa- Feature-length observational film, and so um, I I've sort of, and, and Sophie was absolutely, oh you know, agreed with it, with, the, with the whole approach, which essentially is what I call uncontrolled narrative verite, and it just basically means that it's non-interfering, and there's no questions, or very, very rarely any any interviewing, certainly no repeat of action, or no, no instructions at all, just, and and that's a that's a function of a t- available time, you know, if you spend. That I'm telling you how to suck eggs. If you spend three weeks with a, in a school, you'll get a certain film. If you spend 18 months, you'll get a quite different sort of... But the, the ground rules of not interfering mean that I think the process of the people accommodating themselves to us happens relatively quickly. And I find it the most straightforward of all the, docu- the observational documentary processes. In other words, getting to the stage where people will, will but more or less, to the extent that it's possible, re, um, relax and be themselves. The other thing about this film is that there's a, they're, they're at the school there's a lot of, uh, of camera work going on. They film their performances and they're used to cameras now, these kids. So that part of it wasn't a problem. As for the, as for the overall approach, we, um, we, obviously the first, the first technical problem is working out what the narrative line is going to be. And, and more importantly, who, was going to, who were going to be the major characters. And as usual, in the first two or three months, we go off on all sorts of tangents. But the main thing is to be there for as much of it as possible. We did know we, didn't, we wanted to concentrate on the, violin, on the on the chamber orchestra and the choir. Um, the Iris situation happened well into the film and was purely, you know, we didn't know it was going to happen. We, we, um, for example, the, where they originally mucked up and were therefore going to be separated, we weren't there for that. Which I was furious about, you know, because it meant our, it meant our, our uh, intelligence wasn't, or failed on that occasion, and so, and then you basically, it's just put in the hard yards. I mean, we went to every rehearsal, yeah, uh, e- yeah. every single one of the rehearsals. Yeah. yeah, so
3: we we got to a point where we we knew which pieces we were following, obviously. So mm. then we would just make it a, a habit of just being there at every single one. It didn't matter if we knew something. Most of the time, you didn't know what was going to happen. Anyway, and I think in the first the important point isn't it that within the first few re- weeks you're there with a camera and a microphone, people are looking at you and working out or oh, what are they what what story are they telling? What do they want to know? And and they l- sort of look to you for for an answer to that question in their mind and you just do your poker face and just stand there and let them carry on and after a while they just stop wondering what you what, what you're trying to do and just get on with what they're doing. And I think that's really important because I think if you start giving direction, they start going. Oh, okay, so that's what they want me to do, and, and that's that's not such a good thing.
2: So so. They were teaching the people at the school that forty years ago, I think too. I mean, you know, the London Film School is famous for, you know, for developing, ob- being at the forefront of all this sort of stuff. It's nothing original. about So that. you had
6: your rehearsal on Friday, and then for the for the rest of the week, <coughs> um, what I mean with the so teachers. Yeah. With the teachers, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, well, what we sort of worked out is that it, most of the random encounters would happen before school, during recess, or lunchtime, or you know, when when a student might just rock up and and say, "I don't want to do Mr. Barbler's piece," you know, like. Th- so we started to work that out. So we sort of made sure we were available and around for for the, those sorts of periods of time, and also, there, I mean, there was one. At, I mean, and we're there with the music stuff all the time, so there we were filming all the, we filmed every single staff meeting. So we knew what was on their minds all the time. And so you just you just sort of tune into that. With, with this observational process, sorry, I'll
6: be very
1: Yeah, it's it because uh, other
2: people yeah,
6: asking. With this observational process, is there a danger or do you think it's part to involve yourself so much that you, n- you never step back and take a look at the directions you're going, you, when do you have time for that? Was the
2: same when, when, when you Did everyone hear this, brother? Yeah. Can you hear in the back? Yeah. Right. I, I sort of learnt that making films in New Guinea. I made two observational films in New Guinea with my late wife and partner, Robin Anderson, um, which um, were very fast moving situations, like the same sort of approach, um, with a huge amount of things happening and a lot of it violent, you know, tribal wars and all that sort of and stuff. And that was on film? Yeah, yeah, but, but I, what we developed that the habit of doing was um, each, every day, basically subjecting the whole thing to a relatively exhaustive analysis. So that each day at the end of filming, you would, the two of us would just sit there and uh, Sophie and I did the same thing. I we're driving home or, uh, we, I mean, you start to live and breathe it, of course, everyone does. And you just endlessly going over in your mind you know what is what are the dynamics here what is the narrative lead that's starting to open up yeah. to what extent do we think I- I- iris is crucial you know a little bit of it in the shooting and it all becomes much clearer in the editing but in the shooting i just find that you know the if there's anything clever about it it's basically staying sticking it out and subjecting it to relentless analysis yeah. so that you you can recognize when when, um, when when important narrative events are suddenly happening, but you can also have the freedom in a way to to um, to see stuff come out of left field and to know fairly quickly that that is germane to, to, to what your what your approach is yeah. I
3: should just mention that uh, Nicole Forsyth is in the audience he, he was also one of the members of the the staff uh, she's brief she was a person who gave Emily that last bit of advice before she went on stage so you could Ask her questions later about. Where is <laughs> Nicole? Our
2: Nicole. She has to Just stand
3: up.
1: Right. Uh, Just a footnote to this because I think that was actually a very good set of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, in my experience of having made this kind of film, but never quite to the length that uh, these guys have done, the film tells you what it's going to be about yeah. if you if you're open to it, and good editors also find that in the material, so you don't endless. You're not. Yeah fictionalising, as it were, if too early, because otherwise you miss, yes?
3: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, and I think that was the thing, the parameters that we started to set ourselves were the parameters that, you know, the teachers and the students had themselves, so we didn't go to the other side of the the school that much, because we really just wanted to be a part of the music department and and see the world that they they exist within.
1: Which is what I was, in the introduction I was saying, this is so simple, in that sense the focus is so tight. Yes? Sorry. Just, just so, say no, no, sorry. The press first, and then I'll come to you. I first, I'd
4: like to congratulate you. I t- went to a girls' school in Australia, and I know how intense those environments yeah. can be. And yet, you didn't seem to have any um, interference in how candid they were with the other adults they were talking to. Did you have to run any of the footage by parents before you were allowed to? Well, because they're minors, did you? What was the consent process?
2: Um, We got release forms from every girl in the school, so that's 1,200, which which their parents had to sign. Yeah. And we tried to and and various explanatory letters went around. um, Before we started. Before we started. Yeah. Um, And then during. And then during as well, really. Um, And and the the arrangement that we came to with the principal was that, and and this is one in a way that I've. That we we I've come to in all the the, pr- the previous films, which is that um, you you cannot give anyone editorial control. Uh, it, it's illegal for us to do that in Australia anyway. Because, um, but well, the, the ABC has the editorial yeah, well, no a no we we we, editorial. we 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 keep the, we have the oh editorial control, but we can't say to the school, okay, you can change anything you don't like. We just we won't we we couldn't do that, and we wouldn't have done it. We just I think. You know the fact that I was a parent at the school um, and had been. But you did
1: show it. No, sorry. Just oh yeah, well, sure, sure. She I asked mean, the question about showing it to the we parent.
2: certainly showed it to the to the key people in the film who had who had sort of camera or on camera roles so to speak in two screenings, um, and they were all happy with it. Basically, there were no objections. Just before I come to you, Nicole, where are you? Could you
1: just tell us a bit how the people in the school were feeling both during the filming and after the screening and so on. Can you just give us some feedback?
4: Um, Well, I'm a a peripatetic viola and chamber music and chamber orchestra tutor there, so um, I can totally go with the fact that um, the kids in there are used to sound recording and camera equipment because they are very much a computer and net school, that they use these devices reflexively themselves. But it, did, it was that sort of interesting process where they took a little while to forget that Bob and Sophie were kind of the, the gnomes in the corner, but once they did, they were just completely candid. All these things came out of the kids' mouths that they'd say to us, as the, the peripatetic teachers often get the, like the true story from the kids, but they'd say it in front of Bob and Sophie too. So it was really, truly, they forgot they were there. It was quite amazing. Yeah. And then
1: afterwards, did, was, there a, was there any anxiety about it?
4: No. Um... The kids in the music department um, have a fantastic relationship with the, the teachers, and likewise back. And Bob and Sophie became part of the staff effectively for the 18 months that they were there. So the music kids really trusted them, and they were, you know, yes. they were part of the music department. So,
0: yeah, it was great. Well, that's,
1: I think that's a great compliment, and the trust is really important. Sorry. Yes.
0: I, I just wanted to say, we've talked about how fantastic the sound and, and that camera is, but the editing is terrific. Mm. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> well, one of the
1: things I want to reflect on and perhaps draw out from you two is the decision to let the Bruch last so long. Yeah. You know, to actually, this is a film about music in which the music is the star and has the climax, which is a very interesting decision. And were you ever in doubt about that or not? I mean, how was the process to decide to Cause it, what is it, seven minutes? Six minutes, six, six, six and a half minutes, minutes a
3: half minutes. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did that. It was a, one of the very last edits we did. Actually, was take a bit out of the book, um, just to tighten it up a bit. Well, in truth, what we start, what we did with the edit, or well, one of the the good decisions we made, was we actually started editing at the end. So we started with the two days in the opera house. We we cut every moment that could be a moment there, and really. Within that we, we got a sense of these are all our delivery points basically and, 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 and the characters and, and that was a, a good decision because it really cut a lot of characters out of it out of it completely. So out of the two hundred and sixty-three hours we had, that was great, we could go right, good. <laughs> you know, at least fifty hours gone. But so that um, and I guess all the time we were reminding ourselves that the music was, was our key focus, it really, it really was, and and how it was a a filter to watch these girls grow and watch these interactions of you know the the teachers and the students so I guess we knew that in the end if the, 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 the if the audience could sit through the music then we've done our job right you know that they can that they've they've and we I think part of the editing process too was we realized to, to make those points work um, you need to be able to connect emotionally with each of the girls, even if they're just like a little thumbnail sketch, you know, you sort of know that character, you've been to school with them, or you know, you're that character or whatever. And and we sort of tried to attach each character to a piece of music, or you know, Mrs. Carey, it was very much the Aida, that was her music. Miss um, Keller, who was the head of strings, you know, the Vaughan Williams in The Passion and the ultra romantic, that was very much her soundtrack. And so we sort of used the music as a kind of emotional soundtrack with the characters as well, so they kind of intertwined, and and we wanted the audience to get familiar with the music as the girls got familiar with it as well. So
1: okay, somebody the back. Sorry, I can't see. Yeah, that. Just, just a quick
0: question. One, what did you shoot on? And I know you said you had nine cameras in the opera house and two in the back. In the school, were you both shooting?
3: Uh, towards the end, we yeah, I was embedded in amongst the violas <laughs> in just during the uh, the rehearsals of the music. I'd and I'd be just get the sh- the back shot of the conductor or of Emily. Uh, most of the time it was Bob. We just shot on HDV Sony cameras, and uh, in fact all the on stage cameras at the Opera House were also HD- z ones, I think. And uh, but the back cameras, the Russian cameras, were DVC Pro. The but 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 Z1
1: isn't proper <coughs> HD. So were these proper HD cameras or not? Yeah, no, it is, it's HD. HD cam. It's the yeah.
2: HD cam. No, it's not, not pro- HD. Pro- okay, well, it's not
1: proper HD. Yeah, yeah.
3: HDV. It's
1: yeah. what it well, is. No, fair enough, but I just—it's a distinction which we're being forced to acknowledge now with the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sorry.
0: Oh, you, the film clearly made uh, a point of this connection between the, the violinist's backstory and her performance. But it slightly bothered me that Iris's backstory was never touched. That's
2: on. interesting. Yeah. And
0: she was left as this baddie with no explanation, so there yeah. was not a balance there. And I wondered why you'd yeah. done it that way.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Well,
3: I think what what happened though is again it was we, we, I mean we there was a, a chat that we obviously had with Iris. Um, what happened is that, as we said, we kept the parameter of focusing on the music was so key, and and. Iris was a really interesting character to deal with in the edit because if you had one second too long of Iris, you'd just get so sick of her because she actually didn't shift until right towards the end. And so to actually go into her backstory was just taking us too far away. It just took us too far away from from where the, the whole, everything else was heading, you know, you'd just suddenly be like, well, hang on, why are we over there? And that, in lots of ways, we also knew that we didn't have enough time to go into everybody's backstory so we thought well let's we'll focus on Emily and really just leave enough space for you to imagine and put the pieces together for yourself about each of the other characters I mean mm. you don't really learn, learn you don't have time to learn about the rest of them
1: sorry let's just before I come to you I think that was a really really interesting point you've made yeah but the in terms of filmmaking and narratives yeah the it, it would have been a very, you know, familiar thing to find out why is she being so difficult. And there, there's a kind of, in the physics of filmmaking, you know, the heat goes towards the baddies. If you ever get somebody, who, you know, who's upset or whatever, you know, the, c- the camera loves it, the editors love it and so on. And I think it's part, what I meant about respect was the fact that it was hinted at in the way that it was and not, to, you know, they, that they resisted going there. But I think it was a very good question and I take the point, Les.
2: Yeah, I I don't know if I'm wrong in this, but I sometimes have the impression that Iris and the naughty girls were enjoying the camera being there. Oh,
6: yeah. And that there was an element of performance going on.
2: Um. I think that's certainly... I think that's probably true in the first sequence because it came out of the blue. Sophie wasn't there. She was actually over here at... um, Volleyball. Volleyball. And so... Uh, and, and that came out of the blue, and we hadn't encountered those girls at all. They weren't used to us, um, and so I think they were they were conscious, uh, unju- more conscious of the camera than 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 any of the other girls uh, at that that point in the in the, in the film shooting. The second one, uh, where they doctored up the the the, um, the computer. computer, no, I think in, in, I think by then. Uh, I think if they were really conscious of us, they probably wouldn't they have done that. No. Actually, done can that. I ask Nicole to comment on that? Mm. Um,
4: that particular group attends, everything they do is retention. It was retention, everything. Yeah. yeah. So, and that computer stunt, they would have pulled had there been nobody in the room. So. Mm. Yeah, they'd forgotten Bob and Sophie, I think, but everything, like, they try to attract the
2: teachers' No, I've no doubt time. about that. Yeah. It's just, de- yeah. I'm talking about demeanour, really. I just yeah. sometimes got the impression that they were enjoying the opportunity to,
6: yeah.
2: say, yeah.
7: to
5: yeah.
2: perform yeah. in front yeah. of
5: them. Yeah. I
3: think the it, it, what was interesting, actually, was that after being there for a while, we realised that the girls were far more conscious about what the other girls were thinking yeah, of them than it. what we were that's thinking of them. Think. Absolutely, because, really, I mean, it's hard when you just watch it and you've, you've just seen all these moments. But I mean, we, we film so many moments that they're not, they do lose consciousness of that very, yeah, very quickly. And they're so much more conscious of what each other is thinking of them. Because again, they didn't know what our agenda was. We didn't ever give them, we just said, we're filming the opera house. We're going to the opera house with you. That's what we're doing. Yeah, so but There was us, a moment was of a refl-
2: a, a reflexivity in that too, because at one point, one of the girls says, are they going to pay us out? <laughs> um, and someone said, no, don't worry about it, you know, yeah, which yeah. I think, in other words, sure. yeah, they're conscious where they are, of course they are, yeah. but they're going to do it anyway, yeah. and the only thing they're considering momentarily is, is there a risk in doing this, yeah. will these two snitch on us, yeah. you know, and we didn't, and I think they knew that we wouldn't. Could I just generalise, point? just because of those filmmakers in the room that generalise
1: from those question. My experience with this, with the police, for example, and also filming in schools, is that these are performance situations yeah, in which mm-hmm. people really are performing for each other. And if you get someone who's a show-off, like in our rape film, the Scottish guy, if anybody's ever seen that film, we were trying to keep away from him all the whole year we spent in Reading, because we knew people would say he's doing it for the camera. Mm. He would do that to his mirror. Mm. You know, if he was shaving, mm. <laughs> and and he, so, but it's very hard that distinction. If all you get is the film version, you think somehow
2: is for the camera, and it is a tricky one. That they're but great value. Truthful you.
6: about the character, so maybe,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. know, it's in character. For exactly. them
2: to that, do that, yeah. and you know exactly. the, the the great sort of um, example of that, I think, is one of those Drew Associate films, the chair. You know, where that lawyer waking well, the electric chair. Yeah, the, the chair where he, he the guy he's defending is about to be electric. You know, to be executed. And, and they just went in and just, I think it was Ricky Leacock, yes, from memory, exactly. and he's just in that office with him, and the guy is a total performer, he's performing yeah. to the camera, but the performance itself is a window into him, mm. which exactly. is
1: really interesting. But it is a, I mean, it's a tricky one with Verite, where you, somehow we get the blame or credit or whatever when actually, it <laughs> um, sorry, there were a couple of hands over there, yes? Hi. Um, hi, I loved it,
5: I'm a musician, I'm also from Australia, and I'm a teacher as well, and I want as many of the kids I teach and the kids in this country and in the world to see this because it's coming at a really poignant moment where people are trying to find new ways to attract kids to classical music. And what you've done is shown just how wonderful classical music is in itself. You've not had to add glitter and bing bang, whatever. It's just music for what it is. It's truthful, it's pure and it's non-exploitative. And I just want as many people to see as possible. Will it be in the cinemas? Will it be on TV? Mm-hmm. Tell me now. Here or in Australia? <laughs> yeah. No, here, here.
3: Oh, here. Yeah. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. Well, um,
3: um, on August, I can tell you on August 2nd, <laughs> uh, the Picture Houses chain, is, is they're running a screen arts festival. So on August 2nd, uh, Mrs. Kerry's concert will be screening in, in all their... Uh, cinemas across the UK. On that date, the, the date varies, uh, The t- sorry, the time varies in each location so I think that's The Gate and The Ritzy and uh, f- a few others in London and, and right around up to, all the way up to Aberdeen. So that's one thing that's happening but we are certainly working on getting a cinema release up and running in, in the UK and we're just, you know, we're trying to lure the BBC or Channel 4 to put on the telly as well. So.
1: There was another, yes, at the back. Just to take on from the
5: Bachelorette Music Teacher, it's a beautiful film about music, but I bet if I screen this film in my country, it it won't be only about music. Did you ever think that this film Sorry, where are you
1: from? I didn't hear.
5: I'm from Sudan. Uh, Sudan. Yeah, did you ever think that that film can be also about women? Women.
1: Oh, that's Mm. interesting, yes. Yeah,
3: well, I mean, in an interesting way, we we decided not to be Mm. conscious of it because really... As, as Roger was saying, the film tells you what it needs to be. And they're not conscious. They don't sit there and go, aren't we great? We're all us women doing this. They're not conscious of it. They're just doing what they're doing. Um, but certainly we realise that you know, education for girls is not, is not something that happens in every country. You know? And, um, yeah, we, we, we would love it to, to, to sort of whatever elements... Be taken up in um, wherever it's it's valid. But
2: yeah. it's it's a, it's also fairly timely in Australia. Although this is not why we made it, because at the moment there's a general assault on music as part of the secondary curriculum. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether it's happening here, but yeah, in, in is, Australia they're just they're leeching music out of out of the curriculum, which I think is an absolute tragedy. And I and I hope the film speaks eloquently to that mm. as well. And. I mean, I, I know there are going to be screenings for parliamentarians and some, and we're really pleased about that development. Yeah, yeah. So it's, in that sense, it's quite timely.
1: Um you guys have been fantastic in waiting, uh, you know, so sort of peacefully, and it's a tribute to your film. Let's have two more questions, and then people can carry on talking afterwards. Yes?
6: Yeah, I, would, uh, I, was, I was going to ask you, um, you're, you're filming 18 months, 12 weeks to go. She puts your showstopper in, into the show. Yeah. The brook. I mean, yeah. Did you realize at that moment
3: They'd been looking for something for a for a while. It's just, um, yeah. So we knew that something was going to be happening, and we didn't know. There certainly, up until that point, there wasn't a, a, a solo this, with an orchestra. At least there were the the, the Voyager spacecraft piece that was underway by that stage. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So. It was just great, I mean lots, I mean the the choice of repertoire, I mean if you'd scripted it, you you couldn't have chosen better really, so we were just thrilled and we didn't influence them, I promise the only (laughs) influence I could say is that I did say that that turquoise colour, I know the girls hated wearing the turquoise, but I was thinking about the opera house having fuchsia seats and anyway, I did have one little influence, (laughs) I confess but they did ask me, I had to give my opinion But
2: there was another whole track with the Emily solo and that was that Um, At one point, she gives a performance with Genevieve Lacey, who's a a leading Australian recorder player, of that piece that she's seen practising at the very beginning, early part of the film. Which is on the
3: soundtrack, by the way.
2: Yeah, she does a performance of that, and Mrs Carey goes along, it's at the Australian Institute of Music, and starts getting interested in Emily's father, who was a a composer who came out about 25 years ago, and um, found this piece of music that he'd composed, uh, and uh, of, of the new complexist variety I think it was and she thought what a wonderful idea for Emily to to play her father's piece of music at the Opera House Concert and, when, and then they brought in a top uh, violinist to play the thing and I remember sitting there feeling we were
3: excited this... initially Yeah. and then we heard... And, we,
2: and then we heard this piece of music and, <laughs> and it was like... I, you know, it was, it was, um, we reveal our ignorance of, of, of modern art music, but it didn't set me alight, I yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: and, um, and so then, then they sort of thought, well, that may not go down too well with the parents. And then they thought, oh, well, maybe we'll get Emily to compose a piece of music, because she, she had done that. She'd comp- done, most of these girls also study composition, because Karen thinks it's an essential part of their music education. And so Emily's be- embarked on that, but then I think just the pressure party. of schoolwork, you know, because yeah. she was always had an eye to what would she do, do, you know, if she didn't do music, she had, and she wanted to get a very high, you know, university entrance, mm. and she just didn't have time to do it. And so then when when all those things had failed, which of course is why it was so late in the day that yeah. they that they gave her the the brook, mm. um, she. Um, she, uh, she, that's what happened and, and, but we didn't realise the import of that, I mean I was very relieved that that was the piece of music she was playing I should now add that Excuse Emily, oh, this is, that film was shot that was, it was shot three years ago and 2009
3: 2009,
2: yeah, yeah sorry Emily this year um, who, she, after one year at the Conservatorium in Sydney came across to London to try out for the three major music schools and got offered full scholarships to each of them um, and she's accepted uh, a scholarship from the Royal College. But on top of that, um, four or five days ago, yep. we have a music competition in Australia called the ABC Young Performers Award. And that's the one that produced Joan Sutherland, who came over here after she'd won that. And most of the people who, do, who, who win that, and not that I'm saying she's won it, but what she has won is the string final.
3: So she's well, in the string
2: semi-final, so no,
3: the string final. So yeah. she's now in the grand final up against, against
2: two other musicians, the yeah, yeah, yeah. pianist and uh, and uh, I, can't, I don't I know who the other it. one is. And, and so just, yeah. that's a huge boost for her. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And having seen the film, the director and and Chief chief. Nicole finals, doesn't
3: know this yet, actually.
2: <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, I'll
3: we got a forwarded email from Emily just the other day saying Richard Tonetti, who's the head of the the australian chamber orchestra asked her to call him, him and she's like oh okay i have a proposal for you this is after she won the string final and he's invited her to to tour them to japan next year as part of a tour mm. so she's like
1: wait now just i'm Simon's going to screen. i'm going to use the chit Sorry.
3: Is that the sequel? <laughs> I would have loved to have made yes, a, you sa- a film about yeah. Emily. Now yeah, I'm,
1: I'm going to t- do something and I hope it doesn't embarrass my friend Simon, but actually because Simon, you, you love music and I know that and you've worked in commercial television for all the career that I've known you, I wondered whether you could just share with us your thoughts about where this might go, if at all, on British television. Uh, uh, th- 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 th-
7: thanks, Roger, and, and nice for you to ask me a question that way around, but uh <laughs> 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 I appreciate that lot. lot. Um, Actually, I was gonna, if you don't mind, I was going to ask you a slightly different question, but we may come back to the question that Roger has asked. And the thing that Roger said at the very beginning, which is about its reception in Australia, mm. I'd like to ask a question about. I mean, to our eyes and ears, it's uh, I mean, a, a, as great as the film is, the idea that it's taken a million dollar, Australian dollars at the boss office is, is quite an extraordinary fact. Mm, I agree. Um, and I'd just like to hear a bit about... Why you think that's happened, and how the film is marketed in Australia?
2: Okay, yeah, that's that's interesting. How did it happen? I I'd, um, uh, I'd like to think that part of it is that people come out of it feeling better than when they went in, mm. and I think this film appeals to a demographic that isn't often catered for in films, as well. As so much of it is. You know, shooting and what have you. Uh, but the the mechanics of it. You don't mean an elite, do you? Hmm? No, 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 no. No, I don't actually mean an elite at all. That's the question. You no, know. and um, no. But, uh, you mean people who want to feel positive about life? Well, yeah. yeah, but parents. Um, everyone's been to school. Everyone has these sort of experiences. Yeah. That whole notion of being of carpe diem. I think that really strikes a chord with yeah. people. You know, here are these opportunities. I think it's of
0: that it's a private school because in some senses that might be quite difficult for us to see here yeah. because actually it's an amazingly, brilliantly well-equipped uh, music school with yeah. brilliant staff, yeah. and the m- stuff that we have seen over here that's yeah. similar has been about the amazing work people are doing in state schools with less yeah. facilities. So I just wondered if that's of significance.
3: Well, le- let's, let's just look at the facility. Is that the significance of why people have gone to see it? You mean? Yeah. yeah. It's
6: more emotional baggage Yes.
1: Is that what you mean? There's more baggage here, more Absolutely.
2: emotional baggage. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Look, I, we. Uh, I it, guess it, they probably for know. a documentary filmmaker, it's sort of slightly tempting to go into the sociology of it, you know, and um, the pro, for single sex, all that sort of stuff. We just deliberately avoided that. I anticipated before it was released that we would get a lot of flack, because there are big arguments, philosophical arguments in Australia, as I'm sure there are here, about public versus private education. Now, I mean, and I, so I, I, I asked one of the leading music educators, you know, what what's, what's a response to that? Um, oh, it's all very well for them. They, it's a rich private school, you know, they can sort of do that sort of stuff. He said, it's not a question of that. It's a question of choice. There are, and he's from Melbourne, he said there are half a dozen state schools in, in, in Melbourne and Victoria who have almost as good, if not as good music departments, yeah. who make a choice about prioritising music. Yeah. And there are all sorts of private girls' schools and and, and and all sorts of private schools that don't make a choice to prioritize music. Yeah. And I mean as for the wonderful facilities, that's a that's a square room. And the facilities are that the parents pay for the instruments.
3: Yeah.
2: So I, I don't know quite you know whether that argument sort of holds yeah. entirely. I mean,
3: I guess this this, this particular school, it, you know, it isn't a, an old money kind of school. It's you know, it's an aspirational migrant class, if yeah. tr- if, if the truth be known. Yeah. The majority of the kids there. So the parents, are, you know, both parents are working, yep. and they want to give their kids an opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah.
2: It's very different to the sort of North Shore, sort of you know waspy private girls' schools. sorry, Nicole wants to yeah, say something.
4: I, I teach kids in my viola class who's. Both parents sometimes work two and three jobs to keep their kids at the school. So, and there seems to be more kids like that than of the
2: money varieties. And Nicole, mm-hmm. the main reason they would do that is the academic level of the school, yeah. I think, yeah, too, I not absolutely. the music yeah. so much. But yeah. I
3: think just because you didn't really answer no, no, no. <laughs> question about the marketing of it, and I'll, I'll just be brief, because Nicole actually was quite integral but to that. But
2: we'd still like you to ask, answer the question, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
3: I, I well, <laughs> I mean, we actually decided to self-distribute, and we could do that because we, there was a, a freelance guy who was a cinema booker and slash publicist so he knew the ropes on that side of things but we also felt confident enough just from the the previous screenings that we had done when we'd finished it um, that the core audience for the film are teachers, parents and music lovers. And they're not too hard to find. You know, you've you've got you've got unions, teachers' unions, you've got, you know, schools and you know, you've got all these orchestras around the country and you've got many, many more around here that have uh, databases and subscriber lists. And we just really ran a campaign with an agreement with the cinemas that we did we had like a two for one deal with participating cinemas and and Nicole helped us with just contacting, you know, all the administrators of all the subscriber bases of all the major orchestras and said got this film coming out why don't you come as an administrator to the preview and mm. we'd mix a bit of media in there as well so the media got kind of that feel good music loving vibe from the others in the in the crowd and they were like this is great yeah our subscribers would love it so then we would give them how many ever two for ones they'd want and then they would so we have
2: some for later too by the way then they would put it <laughs> yeah. they
3: would put it out to that to their subscriber base and that just helped and that actually helped generate the word of mouth even before we had our kind of release date, actually. And, mm. um, and then they just talked about it to everybody else. I mean, really, it was, we actually had more people come in our third weekend than we did in our opening weekend. So it was very much a word of a mouth. People saw it, loved it, told people about it. Which
1: is it. what everybody here is. Which is why you're it. here. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Hopefully. So, uh, in answer to the question, yeah. um, uh, and, and Carol Sennett is, is here from the BBC, uh, You know, I would find it a um, dangerous thing to say, I would find it inconceivable that you wouldn't get a, a very decent terrestrial broadcast slot for a film like this. Terrestrial? Yes, I, I would back yeah. that
5: up from the BBC. It's uh, very much the sort of thing we should be doing. I'd like to um, draw on the earlier point that actually it's very much public service remit too, in a sense that it is core to the BBC that we try and encourage young people to to take mm. up classical. We do a lot of work. Uh, my colleague Jan Jan young husband sadly, couldn't be here tonight, mm. but we do a lot of work with Young Musician of the Year, all these yeah. sorts of That's things. True. And this is mm. absolutely key to our core remit as a public service broadcaster. Yep. Yeah. And I also think, to be honest, it's jolly entertaining. Yeah. Mm. It's a fantastic watch. You get really, really involved in it. And you know, we're, we're, you know, we're here to get audiences as well as to, to to be public service, you know we've yeah. got to be um, entertaining as well as uh, mm. a, a fulfilling remix and I think this ticks both boxes. And I'm certainly giving it the, the double tick. And I'll talk to Channel about it tomorrow. I think it's an excellent piece of work.
2: Fantastic,
1: thank you. I don't think we can. I don't think we can do any better than that. <laughs> thank you all for coming. Yeah, really thank you. And today. if anyone if wants, if anyone, if anyone doesn't want to see the, I've got them.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the London Film School, a skill set partner.